Welcome to the Horns Up Half Hour, Cedar Hill ISD's podcast about scholars, staff, and community. Our guests will be individuals from the district and the community. This podcast is for anyone interested in expanding their knowledge of all things CHISD. Hello, good morning. This is Michael Sudhalter, host of the Cedar Hill Horns Up Half Hour podcast. And I have a very special guest with us today. It is LaShonda Henderson. Hello. She is the a social emotional learning specialist here for Cedar Hill ISD. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, tell me what you do in your role as a social emotional uh, learning specialist. In in this role, I get the privilege of servicing uh, children and adults with SEL, uh, for short. Um, my job is to provide district wide um, platform that will give resources to teachers. Uh, and how to um, foster SEL in their classroom. So SEL is basically um, giving kids the skills and strategies needed to um, manage their emotions, to be aware and manage their emotions, to be able to be concerned for others and to build relationships and make right decisions. So my job is to provide uh, support to teachers to give strategies um, and skills to them that they can impart, uh, pass down to the children I also go into the campuses and I do uh, adult SEL activities as well as uh, grade level, uh, small groups, and one-on-ones as well to support the needs of the students. Um, It seems as though right now um, I'm um, I'm all over the place because there's such a great need for SEL, not only in our district but in the world. Um, We just need people to start caring again. And it's super important um, to make sure people know how. Um, I think we assume that being nice and being respectful is something that everybody can do, but the reality is people don't know how, especially when they're hurting or especially when they're feeling what they are feeling, um, to be able to manage your own emotions as well as take care and provide support for someone else is a difficult task. And so my job is to provide resources and support for that area. Okay, so how did you prepare for this this role that you're in? I think I was born in it. I think my my church background, um, I I can't remember a time in my life that I haven't been in outreach Um, from a youth, um, my family and my church community. We have always uh, tried to support people, you know, people's needs um, from feeding um, to care packages to um, having conversations with people in need, struggling people. Um, I've always been in a space where um, if there was someone in need, um, my family, my church family, we were always a part of it. And so I just grew up with this mentality that um, your life is only great if you're servicing someone else. And so service has just been a part of my DNA. And so um, to get me to this space um, as a profession um, at my campus, I was kind of that teacher that if a kid was struggling or even a teacher was struggling, someone's going to find me in the building. And I, my room and, um, you know, myself as a, as a tool just became a resource to our campus. And for the length of the time I was there, I was always the one that was, um, that I assisted, I assisted uh, the leadership in de-escalating parents, de-escalating kids, de-escalating and supporting adults talking things through. I was the one that was there early, the one that was there late. Um, 
I just have a heart for people and I can pick up very easily on hurt and pain. And so it just became a thing. And so I just continued to do it and I realized that um, this might be something I can do as a profession through this, this position. And so I went after it. Well, okay. So did you grow up here near Cedar Hill? or? I didn't. I grew up in Louisiana, in okay. northern Louisiana, small form town. Um, we have one or two stop signs and um, it's a very tight-knit community. Um, and then I transitioned to California um, for, for my high school and college years, and that was a total culture shock. And so I really learned, had to learn people in a different, unique way and then be able to uh, marry my southern um, personality to the fast-moving city life. And so um, I had great success uh, there and met my husband and moved back to this area. Okay, so that's what drew you back to Cedar Hill? That's what drew me back to this way, yeah. Where did you go to college out there? I went to Pepperdine University for my master's degree, but my undergrad was done at UC Irvine. Oh, okay, wow. So um, Pepperdine, I've been there, a very scenic uh, oh, campus. Yeah. And it's, it's, I didn't realize uh, when I, went, <laughs> I got accepted and went there what, how big of a space that was, but it was a great opportunity to be exposed to all types of people, and I think that's one of the amazing things about my journey is I I've been in all types of socioeconomic spaces mm -hmm. and I've learned to adapt and adjust but what I found as the common denominator is we're just people and you have to be able to show respect and care for people no matter what what space you're in and so it just became um, some it just gave me the tools and these different spaces gave me the tools and the habits and the perspectives that I needed to, I guess, be where I am right now. So you come to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. What year was that? Uh, that had to be. I had my oldest daughter in 01, so that had to be 99. Okay, so you, you arrive in this area, but what did you come uh, straight to Cedar Hill? or No, I lived in Garland first. Okay. And then my husband lived in Dallas area. So when I first got here, we were still kind of dating. And I got engaged shortly after I moved here, and um, I worked in Dallas DISD for a while, for like a year or two. And then once we got married and decided to have kids, I took a year off. And so when we got married, we lived in this area. Okay. So I commuted for a couple of years after we got married, but then once we decided to have kids, I needed to be closer to home. So that's yep. what brought me to the Cedar Hill area. Okay, and what drew you to like Cedar Hill specifically? Because you know, with a lot of districts around here, I had no idea about anything yeah. Cedar Hill. Uh, I was home with my daughter, and I had, I had enough. I had lost the adult language. I I only knew baby talk. <laughs> I was I needed adults in my life, and so I literally just called around and and was just finding out who was hiring. And it was really like about two weeks before school was gonna start. So I happened to call Cedar Hill. It was close in the area where we live. We were in DeSoto at the time. And I said, hey, I am an English teacher. I have this background. And I'm just checking to see if you guys had a position that possibly I would be a match for. And they said, come on in. Let's interview and talk with you. Came on in, sat with the person, communicated. Immediately she sent me out to interview with different principals. And um, that was the end of it. I got hired at Plummer Elementary. Oh, wow. Worked, so you were a teacher there? I was a teacher there. I worked at Plummer, oh my goodness, for probably over 15 years. Oh, wow. What did you teach? Uh, English. I like ELAR. Uh, for English what grade? For, uh, fourth grade. Fourth grade. And uh, I also taught at Waterford Oaks one year, um, and I really loved that space. I had a great team there, but my heart 
belong to Plumber, so I end up coming back to Plumber. Yeah, they have a lot of teachers who stay there a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a very um, rich culture that lives there. Um, and I've been there through diverse of diverse principles, different leadership styles, but the one thing that remains constant is there is a culture, a strong, loving culture that exists there. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't seen it anywhere. I haven't seen it anywhere. The people there, the staff there, are very in tune to each other, and there's a support there like none other. So you were you were doing um, your teaching, and then when did you make the transition into um, your current position? So I guess about a couple years ago, right before COVID hit, I came out of the classroom as an instructional coach. So I did that uh, for a while because I, I have a passion for reading and a passion for writing uh, and a passion for people. And so that seemed like the next step. And as I was in that position, I felt like I was a little bit removed, removed from the classroom and, and from removed from kids and a little bit removed from adults. And so it still didn't quite, you know, itch my, you know, scratching my itch kind of thing. And so um, I had already started writing. I've been writing for years um, and so, um, I knew I needed to do something different. So I didn't quite know what it was. So I started, uh, to, uh, get my principal certification. And as I was doing that, I was excited about how, you know, that leadership would put me back in the building and get me to have a, a space where I could touch lives again. But then I didn't, it didn't, at the end, I finished the program. I didn't take the test because I realized that that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Um, my heart is for people, and, that, and that's the bottom line. And I didn't want to be, um, I didn't want that to be blurred with all of the requirements that great principals uh, have to do. Um, and I don't ever want to be in a position where I have to do a job. So I knew that wasn't going to do it for me. So I had to go after the thing that kind of fit who I was. Oh, okay. Okay. And then, so when did you um, first start as a social emotional specialist? Uh, this is actually my first year in the position. Okay. My okay. first year in the position. And are you the only one in the district? I'm the only oh, okay. one in the district. Wow. Yes, I am the only one currently, and I service pre-K through 12th grade, as well as every adult in the district. Well, when when did kind of social-emotional learning become um, something important, like, to districts? Because I know, you know, I mean, I went to graduate high school about, you know, almost 25 years ago now, and we didn't have that type of thing then. When did it, um, you know kind of become uh, prevalent? I think COVID kind of made it come to the surface. But social emotional learning, teachers have been doing this for years. It's just good. It's just being a good person. It, it, and it's, it's nothing fancy. It's just being intentional and making uh, certain habits um, top of mind. Things like greeting your kids at the door, eye contact, making them feel, feel like they belong in your space being in tune with their emotions, giving them a platform to express themselves appropriately, um, to coach them and how to manage their emotions and, and to be a mediator between kids to make sure you are giving them tools to build relationships, making them express themselves with appropriate words and to be able to own, take ownership of their behavior and their choices. That's something that we do in general as teachers. I think COVID has kind of made it top of mind because when you close up kids and people for that long of a period of time without we're social people like we were never designed to not interact with others and I know that there are some jobs where people are like I, I don't want to be around people I can work in my own space 
but there's still a desire to service others. Your job right, yeah. provides a service to other people. But I think that um, the COVID shutdown, um, when we came out of that, I think we lost um, our, we lost or we may have forgotten the skills necessary to interact appropriately. And so now you have students and adults that have experienced so much trauma in these last two years that to be able to express themselves or to um, build relationships has, is a challenge. And so we have to revisit the simple basic tools um, to be able to interact again in society successfully. Um, behaviors across the nation um, in education are, are really high. And I don't know that they're higher than normal, but the degree of the behavior is more extreme than it has been in the past. And so I think that putting the focus back on how we interact with each other and how we're sympathetic and empathetic to, to one another is a priority. We have to care. People have to know we care. Um, and that has to be felt, it has to be taught, and it has to be practiced. Because learning, I mean, obviously learning the academics is very important, but then, you know, this is almost, or just as important, if not more, um, to learn, you know, social and emotional intelligence. I think it would be a disservice to continue with academics like it's business as usual. It, it we will feel the effects of it in such a, tragic way later if we don't put attention to the fact that kids are coming into the our, our campuses different and there are things missing emotionally there are there is a need to be shown how and there needs to be a space to practice it if we if we ignore that um not only are we going to miss the mark academically but now the behaviors are going to be so extreme we're going to spend more money. We're going to we're going to have to have more extreme interventions um, because we didn't do the work. Now we can't continue with business as usual. We've got to meet people, not just children, adults. I'll be honest with you. I spend probably half of my time working with adults, um, the same as I do with children, because teachers are affected by this, and these are the people that are touching the lives of our kids. Right. Yeah. So, um, do you prefer this role to being when you're in the classroom? I don't know that I would say prefer it to the classroom. Um, I think it's as equally important as my role in the classroom. My number one passion is 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 teaching. That's my number one passion. I just now use it as a method to get a new message out. So I'm still teaching, but now I'm pushing out a different message. It's not it's not the constructs of grammar and writing. It's more so of the um, fine skills of, of interacting with people. So it's just as important, but I use what I learned in the classroom, all my methods in the classroom. Honestly, I use it to teach social-emotional learning, circles, and higher thinking strategies. All of those things are still useful, just changing the content. Okay. And then um, the story of how you and I met um, a couple, just before spring break, it was interesting. Um, when Patricia Bird, who was a former colleague of yours, she was... Amazing woman. Yeah, she was surprised by Drew Barrymore, and we all know about, um, you know, she's going to be on Drew Barrymore's show in April yes. and received a trip, and there's going to be, you know, playground, um, significant funds toward a playground at Plummer. 
Um, but I was actually, um, you know, filming footage of her for the show when um, Drew Barrymore got on the um, intercom and, you know, surprised her. Yes. And then I was, ended up, you know, having my background. I had taught. I had been a substitute teacher as well. So um, I covered the class. And, um, you know, they were finished with their assignment, so I read a couple books to them, the second of which was your book. <laughs> and then um, soon, you know, I saw a handwritten note in the book, and the kids really enjoyed the book. I enjoyed reading it. Um, and then little did I know that I would meet you, you know, you know, only 10 or 15 minutes later, and it was <laughs> great book. How did you decide to write that book? This book is actually based on my son's life, okay. my youngest son's life. He is uh, the short, he's short in stature, very like myself. Um, he reminds me often that I did that to him. And so he had this big um, appetite for being seen and he wanted to win all the time. And so as a young boy, we wanted to nurture his desire to be a success, but we didn't want him to feel like he wasn't enough. And that to let him know that you don't have to beat people to, to, to feel like you're enough. Like you don't, you're not, you don't have to compensate for being little. And so he was a part of a, a track team, this whole experience with the book. Um, his whole mindset was, I want people to talk about how great I am, not how small I am, what I can do. And so he had this, this thing going on. And so the, the story stemmed from... His experience uh, being, he loved to race, his experience racing. And um, it was such an amazing story. I remember taking notes while this was happening. I told my husband because over the years of teaching, I actually have taken notes about a unique kid every single year. I don't know how I was I was chosen, but I got a special kid every year so I would take a few notes. So in my son's life, I would take a few notes about some of the interesting, funny, or you know, life-changing things that he would do or say. And so when I decided to publish one of my first story, I, I decided to, this one would be it because I thought the kids could relate. And it's talking about how to how to gain success without belittling or degrading or competing against other people. You can actually be great and also encourage somebody else to be great also. You're not losing anything by allowing someone else to win. And then... Um, I need you to know that you're enough. You don't have to compensate for anything. Like, you're enough just the way you are. So have you written any other books? I have some, not, nothing published yet, but I have several stories that are in the works. Okay, so those, obviously that one had a uh, social-emotional learning theme. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're all based on social-emotional learning. Okay. Yes. Oh, great, great. Um all right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We really appreciate your time. We definitely learned a lot. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.